Locked On Giants, your daily New York Giants podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Hello, New York Giant fans, and welcome to a new edition of Locked On Giants, part of the Locked On Podcast family, your team every day. My name is Patricia Trana, and this show is brought to you by Built Bar. Built Bar makes great tasting protein and energy bars. And now for a limited time, when you enter the code Locked On at checkout at BuiltBar.com, you can save $10 off your first box. That's code Locked On at checkout at BuiltBar.com. So we are currently in our summer schedule, which basically means that we are doing shows instead of daily, we're going to be doing shows about two to three times a week. I'm going to aim for Monday, Wednesday, Friday on shows, and we're continuing the Time Machine theme week. So on today's show, we're going to go back in time to the year 2011, which of course was the last year the New York Giants won a Super Bowl championship. Now that season in particular uh, wasn't a favorite of mine. And I'm going to put give you a disclaimer. The reason why it was not a favorite of mine is because, unfortunately, that year I was diagnosed with cancer. And I spent that entire year basically going through cancer treatments, surgery, radiation, chemotherapy. And all of those treatments went well into the uh, football season. I think I had my last cancer treatment, I want to say, in early October. And... Uh, you know, thankfully, I was I was given the all clear sign. I was in remission. As far as I know, I still am in remission. Um, so I'm thankful for that. But that was a difficult year. But let's kind of back up a little bit. Because that was also the year of the lockout when it looked like there wasn't going to be a season. And I remember the Giants, you know, the NFL, they had the draft that year. I can remember, you know, assembling in, in the Quest Diagnostics Training Center. Um, at, at the time, I believe Prince Mokamara was the uh, first round pick and they had brought him in um, the next day. I think he, he gave a, his, his um, presser in person. But there was this sense of why are we even bothering, you know, because I think the feeling back then was, just two sides were not going to come to an agreement anytime soon. That, you know, if they hadn't reached an agreement by the start of the league year, which that year was in mid-March, that it just wasn't going to happen. So it just, it started off like a, a lost year for a lot of people. You know, you did have the draft, which, you know, much like in 2020, um, provided a little break in the, in the uh, uncertainty and gave you a sense of normalcy. But um, other than that, it was a weird year because there were questions. Could the Giants, you know, be ready to rock and roll once they, if they, they came back and, and started playing football? And if you remember that year, a big thing, and, and I still say this is probably the top reason why the Giants were able to hit the ground running and be competitive as they were in 2011. Eli Manning took it upon himself to organize the workouts at a Hoboken High School. Now, back then, if I remember correctly, because of the lockout, the players and coaches were not allowed to communicate with each other on football issues. I'm pretty sure that was the case. But Eli, you know, having had a good grasp of the offensive system, was able to put together scripts and 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 
you know, loose practices, you know, based on what the Giants would would have done. And he had these workouts for his teammates at a Hoboken High School football field. And that really, I think, went a long way to making sure that the Giants were able to hit the ground running when football resumed. Now, I don't remember off the top of my head if a lot of guys on the defense showed up for that. My guess is probably not because, you know, Eli, obviously, I don't think would have run the defensive drills. But if you remember, Victor Cruz was one of the receivers that showed up. Um, I think, um, I want to say Hakeem Nix showed up as well. Um, I believe, I want to say Manningham showed up too. I don't remember if he did or not, but there were several guys and several guys who would later go on to have a big role in the Giants' quest for their second Super Bowl under the Eli Manning, Tom Coughlin era. So that that workout right there, you talk about, you know, when life gives you lemons, make lemonades. That was for Eli Manning to have that that, you know, foresight to do that was, I think, one of the most underrated reasons why the Giants, when football did resume, which I believe it resumed in late. No, it was early August, I think, when it came back. That was a big reason why I think the Giants, you know, didn't look as out of sorts as they could have. Because if you remember, they they kind of tweaked the offensive line that year. And there was just, you know, there were a lot of changes. And, um, you know, the offense was able to hold steady and and, uh, and deliver. So, you know, that was a underrated storyline, but a very key storyline in that 2011 season. Now, again, um, because I was sick with cancer that year, um, I, I, I'm going to mix that in with the memories because it is very vivid in my mind. And um, I, I just remember from a personal standpoint that year, uh, I had started chemo treatments in in the summer, my, my second round of chemo treatments. And I can remember going through training camp with the most excruciating pain. I mean, it was a challenge, folks. I'm not going to lie. I was on... Um, chemo and then the next day I had to have this uh this injection to to boost my white blood cell count and I for, I think it was called Nulastra and if you've ever you know had chemo and I hope you know a lot of you haven't out there but if you've ever had chemo Nulastra is designed to kind of help your immune system your white blood cell count and having that shot is like having somebody take a sledgehammer to your body because that's how sore you got. And I can remember just having to sit down. I could not walk around the field. I couldn't really mingle and do everything I, I, I wanted to. I remember, you know, because I was taking medication for safety purposes, uh, my husband who was off for the summer, you know, was, was kind enough to take me to and from, from camp. And gosh, I also remember my work suffering. It just, the quality I, I thought, you know, wasn't as good as it could have been, but uh, I did the best I could. But um, really, to be honest with you, uh, the the winning and, and knowing that they were going to the Super Bowl in the end kind of made it a little less, you know, painful for me uh, because it was, it was something good, something positive to focus on as opposed to having to you know, sit there and, and think about, oh, my God, the season is down the toilet and this is a loss. And, oh, by the way, I feel like garbage because of the chemo and whatnot. But um, so 
I'll have more on that in, in segment three when I get to the Super Bowl. But let's take our first break. And then when we come back, I want to talk about a couple moments during the season that really stood out. So do stay with us. With the ever-increasing numbers of makes and models of cars and trucks, it's become impossible for retail shops to stock everything in a traditional chain storefront. So the next time you need a part for your car or truck, visit rockauto.com. RockAuto.com is a family-owned business serving auto parts customers online for 20 years. RockAuto.com offers scores of different auto and body parts from hundreds of manufacturers for nearly every make and model of car out there. Whether it's for your classic or daily driver, get everything you need in just a few easy clicks delivered directly to your door. The rockauto.com catalog is unique and remarkably easy to navigate. Quickly see all the parts available for your vehicle and choose the brands, specifications, and prices you prefer. Best of all, prices at rockauto.com are always reliably low and are the same for professionals and do-it-yourselfers. Why spend up to twice as much for the same parts? Go to rockauto.com right now and see all the parts available for your car or truck. Write Locked On in their How Did You Hear About Us box so that they know we sent you. Amazing selection, reliably low prices, all the parts your car will ever need. RockAuto.com Welcome back, Giant fans. Locked On Giants, Patricia Trainer here with you. And we are doing a time machine week. And uh, we are currently doing 2011 which was the last time the Giants went to the Super Bowl and won a Super Bowl. And it was a it was a pretty good year for, you know, Giant fans. Um, as I've been talking about in the first segment, it was a little rough for me personally in that I was sick going through cancer treatments. But I'm here and knock on wood, I'm healthy and uh, just doing my best to make a difference and, and, you know, keep you guys up to snuff on everything and, give you content that you can enjoy. So I want to thank everybody who sent in suggestions for various time machine periods. If you do have a suggestion, feel free to tweet it at me at Patricia underscore Trina. You can also email it to me at LockedOnGiantsPodcast at gmail.com and I'll do my best to work it in. Right now we are on a summer schedule, which means um, until we get to training camp, there's really not going to be a whole lot to talk about. Although I think next week, we may have some football to talk about. Um, don't want to go into too much details, but it's just something, you know, I, I, I have a feeling we might have some football to talk about next week. Anyway, um, so I mentioned at the end of last segment that we um, there were a couple of games during the uh, 2011 season that stood out. And I got to start with the Jet game because I remember that one really, really well. Normally, now I'm going to kind of take you a little behind the scenes here. Normally, when I go into MetLife Stadium, I go in through the press entrance. And for some reason that day, I decided to go in the main entrance, which is the entrance that the players and the, and the people of the coaches club uh, usually take to get in. And I decided I wanted to go in there and kind of walk past the Giants locker room down the hall to the press elevator, take the elevator up to the press box. I don't know why at the time I decided to do that, but I was really glad I did because one of the things that struck me when I arrived was how the Jets, who remember were the home team that week, they had put up 
the curtains to block out the giant Super Bowl murals. And I remember stopping to look at that and thinking to myself, what is wrong with these guys? Come on. I mean, really? I just thought it was very petty on their part. And, you know, I get it. It's a Jet home game. I understand that. But I just... I just had a feeling that it wasn't going to sit well with the giant players once they arrived. Now, I always get to the games, you know, most cases a lot earlier than than the players do. I think the players have to be there, um, I want to say, two or three hours before kickoff, something like that. I try to get in just for no other reason to beat the traffic. So anyway, um, go up to the press box. And sure enough, later on, it comes out that when the giant players were coming in and they saw that their Super Bowl murals were blacked out, if you will, they, they had curtains over them, they were pretty pissed off. And they were actually ripping back the curtain. And, and it just, I think that served to fire them up. They were fired up enough as is, but that really served to fire them up. And, you know, the rest is history, as they say. They went out, they kicked the Jets' butts up and down the field. Uh, Victor Cruz had that that big touchdown reception. And then afterwards, I don't think I've seen a Giants locker room so fired up after a game, after a win. You know, usually after a win, there's a lot of good energy as it is. But that week in particular, every player I spoke with, both on and off the record, they were seething over how the Jets had disrespected, you know, their history. And there was a sense of, we showed them who's boss, you know, we showed them who the New York team is. And it it was just, it was an attitude, I've got to tell you, I've never really seen from a Giants team before, you know, I, I go back to 2007, which was my favorite season to cover. And that team had swagger, they had an attitude, but not like what I saw in the locker room after that Jet game. And I remember um, one player telling me, ain't nobody going to stop us. We are rolling all the way. And at the time I was like, yeah, okay, we'll see. Yeah. You know, I, I, I had my doubts because the Giants, they, they were kind of running hot and cold and everything, but it's amazing how that game, you know, kind of perked everybody up a little bit and, and um, you know, it, it just served as a, a catalyst, I think. Now, uh, moving on here, that win put the Giants at eight and seven with one game to go. Now, that that was an important win, remember, because the week before the Giants had gotten beaten by Washington. Matter of fact, I remember with that game, uh, one of the things that kind of stood out that kind of infuriated me a little bit is after the Giants lost to Washington, I remember a couple of the players young players tweeting about how they were going to go out and hang out at Hoboken. And I can remember being infuriated by that because, you know, here you are, you just got your butts handed to you and you're, you're talking about going out and, and hanging out in Hoboken, which, you know, for anybody who lives in New Jersey, you know that Hoboken is pretty much a, a happening city as far as nightlife and partying and whatnot. So I remember getting irked by that because I thought to myself, Does this team really care or what? And then, of course, you know, the Jet game, they came back and they they really, you know, did a number on the Jets. But that set up the big win for the regular season finale against the Cowboys. And that was a uh, 31-14 game. 
And in that game, I, I, I just don't think, you know, I think back to that game, the Cowboys, honestly, they, I, I don't want to say they were flat, but the Giants were just all over them. The Cowboys were no match for them whatsoever. I mean, Ahmad Bradshaw had a big day. I think he scored um, two touchdowns. Victor Cruz had another big day. He had a 74-yard reception, which I think put the Giants on the board. And really, the Giants, if I remember correctly, they never um, – they led throughout that whole game. I don't think they were ever behind that whole game. Um, they went up 21 – I think it was 21 nothing at the half and the final score, 31-14. Just, just a, you know, an amazing, amazing run in that game for the Giants. And that set up really, you know, uh, I thought that was a key, you know, for the, for the, uh, for the postseason because that gave the Giants a nine and seven record. And I think that year the Giants were a wild card team. I think they, I want to say they were the sixth seed, I think that year. And of course they would go on, they would beat Atlanta um, by a score of 24 two in the wild card game at home. By the way, the only time I can ever recall the MetLife Stadium press box being filled to capacity. I mean, that was the only time I remember. I mean, it was amazing how many people were there for that game. So that was a 24-2 giant win. And then, of course, you know, the the re- match, if you will, with Green Bay. But that, was a, that wasn't the, for the championship. That was more for the divisional game. Um, Giants running over uh, the Packers 37-20, which was pretty amazing. Uh, the Frisco game. Now, that was a game I really would have liked to have gone to. But again, because I was sick at the time and I was trying to allow for um, as much recovery time as possible, I did not travel that uh, that postseason. And I really felt like I was missing out because there's just something pretty cool about traveling, especially during the postseason, just hanging out and, 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 and uh, you know, following the games and all the, the post-game action and whatnot. But that was the game, the famous Eli in the Mud game, that 2011 playoff game at San Francisco where Eli just got absolutely pummeled by the 49ers defense. I think he was hit something like 12 times that game and he still got up and proved his his toughness and it was it was quite a run and you know in retrospect I'm kind of glad I didn't go to that San Francisco game not only because it was a cross country flight but you know the weather was lousy, and then from what I understand, some of the accommodations for the overflow of media at that game weren't the greatest. Made uh, Matter of fact, so a lot of colleagues of mine who were in the overflow areas just said, you know, they wondered why they even bothered because they just couldn't get a view, and it just it wasn't a great setup in the old Candlestick Park. But uh, anyway, that set up, of course, Super Bowl forty six. And in our next segment, I'll talk a little bit about that one because that one just kind of really stands out for me. So stay with us, folks. Hey, Giant fans. If you're like me, every so often you crave something sweet in between meals. And when I get that sweet tooth craving, I satisfy it with a Built Bar. Built Bars come in 16 amazing flavors and deliver all the sweetness of a candy bar without the high sugar or calorie contents. Covered in 100% chocolate, Built Bars deliver a healthy dose of protein and fiber that holds you over in between meals. To give you an example, 
My personal favorite flavor, mint brownie, contains 15 grams of protein, 4 grams of sugar, 5 grams of net carbs, and is only 110 calories. And now, for listeners of the Locked On Giants podcast, you can try the amazing nut and nut-free flavors Built Bar offers. Go to BuiltBar.com and use the promo code LOCKEDON and you'll get $10 off your first order. That's promo code LOCKEDON for $10 off at BuiltBar.com. Welcome back, Giant fans, to Locked on Giants. Patricia Trainer here with you. It is a time machine theme as we continue our look back at various seasons. And really, there's so much we could talk about with these uh, looks backs. I mean, I'm trying to boil it down into, you know, some highlights for you. Um, and this show, we are talking about 2011, the Giants' last Super Bowl season. And in this segment, I'm going to talk about Super Bowl 46, which was held in Indianapolis. That was my second exposure to the city of Indianapolis, which has always been one of my favorite cities. Of course, that's where the Combine is. And I just absolutely love that city. It's so compact. The people are fantastic. Um, the, the, the food, the nightlife, just everything is, is so favorable. And just the arrangements that they made, the NFL, uh, for the media for that Super Bowl were just, you know, they, they were top notch. But let's talk about um, some of the behind the scenes stuff. Now, what was interesting, um, th- I, that game I did travel for, I had gotten it all clear from my doctor, who made me um, promise that if I felt tired, that I would rest, that I wouldn't push myself and do anything stupid. Because remember, I was just coming off chemo. I had finished chemo in early October, and here it was uh, late January, early February. So things were starting to come back. You know, my hair, thank goodness, was starting to come back. Um, just everything was starting to come back, although I still had quite a ways to go, as I would find out later on. But the good thing about that is the Giants Hotel was within walking distance. So Indianapolis, if you've never been, they have a series of like, walkways, skywalks, if you will. And you can just, you never have to go outside. You can basically walk to wherever you want to with by just going through these skywalks. Now for the Patriots, you had to go outside. You had to take a bus if you wanted to go to the Patriot um, media sessions. And by the way, you know, it's funny, the Patriots, uh, when I found out that the Giants were going to face the Patriots in the Super Bowl, I thought, oh, goodness, just my luck, because I was hoping the Giants would actually face a different team in the Super Bowl. I, I thought, oh goodness, you know, here it is, the revenge game, and who knows how this is going to work out. But so we did the, the media sessions, but before that, um, I wanted to talk about the media day, which was held on a Tuesday uh, during the day. It was usually held um, from eight to nine, and then there was like a break, and then from nine to, from nine to ten there was a break, and then from like 10 to 11, I believe, was the second media session. The way that kind of worked was that you went to uh, Lucas Oil Stadium, which is where they had it. You know, this was before, obviously, they moved media day to Monday night primetime. And, you know, the media would come in and you would you would check in, you would get your, your little kit. And um, if you wanted brunch or whatever, you could have something to eat. But they would bring in the first group of uh, players, which is usually, you know, by team. 
So I want to say the Patriots were up first in the media session. I think they were the first group they brought in and, you know, they did their thing and everything. And, you know, it, it was interesting. I kind of floated around to hear different podiums, you know, to different podiums. And the cool thing about media day, uh, despite the fact that it's somewhat of a circus is that everybody from the teams are available to talk. That includes owners, GMs, assistant coaches, head coaches, all the players. Um, sometimes you, you're lucky you get some of the staff. Uh, they're all available to talk and you get some really interesting stories. But um, when the Giants finally had to come in after they had cleared out the Patriots and it was time for the Giants to come in. Now, I I can't explain this, but I remember watching the Giants come come walking into the, the floor and they were the guys that were out front were some of their rookies at the time, like Spencer Paisinger was amongst them. I remember seeing Henry Hynoski, the fil- the fullback, um, just kind of walking in. And I don't know, it was kind of surreal just kind of watching them come in. And, you know, they were just so, and, and by they, I mean the entire team, they were just so calm and so poised. And I remember Hynoski coming up to me to say hello. And, and, and he was, he wasn't quite sure what to do, <laughs> which was kind of funny. And I just said, Hey, just, you know, if you don't have a podium assignment, just go stand someplace and people will find you, which is what he ended up doing. But, um, it was pretty neat just watching how businesslike the Giants were. It was like, this is a team that had gone through some highs and lows in the season, and yet they were so focused. Now, remember, uh, they didn't have a Michael Strahan. Um, Antonio Pierce was no longer there, but they had Antro Roll. They had Justin Tuck. You know, Eli was there at the time. They had guys who, um, who kind of took over the leadership mantle. And it was just kind of cool. You know, Antro Roll was, if you thought Antonio Pierce was like the be-all, end-all leader, Antro Roll, I think, was probably one of the greatest leaders that team has had um, in the modern era. I mean, that at least that I've covered. I mean, Antro told it the way it was. He wasn't afraid of, you know, being politically correct. Uh, and and, and he, he said what needed to be said. And, and the best of all is the guy backed up his play, um, backed up his words with his play. So you knew that, you know, Antro wasn't just going to shoot his mouth off just because he could. He backed it up. And he was just so respective. And just to kind of watch him kind of grow into that role and just exercise it and and that leadership over everybody was just, it was was one of the most underrated aspects of that season. And I can remember speaking with Antro for a story about that. I can remember speaking with his mom, um, Armelia, who was, who's a fantastic lady, by the way. And we were talking about how Antro kind of went from bucking heads a little bit with Tom Coughlin in the beginning, because I don't know if you guys remember, but at one point, I think Antro Roll, before um, he began to really, you know, fit in as a leader, had made a comment about Coughlin needing to loosen up and whatnot, and it created a whole hubbubadoo. So um, just just to hear from them and, and put that story together, that, that was just one of the highlights of the week for me. Um, another highlight that was really special was uh, a tweet that Mark Herzlick had put out. Now, Mark Herzlick, as you guys know, uh, a cancer survivor who many people 
wondered if he would be able to make it to the NFL, let alone walk again. And unfortunately for him, he didn't play in the Super Bowl. He was inactive. But the simple fact that he got off the plane with a team, you know, and, and had contributed to a Super Bowl season and there was that moment when he put that tweet out. I mean, it was one of the most moving tweets that I can recall in that, in that leading up to that game. So that was really special as well. But um, just having gone around and, and, and done the media sessions, I mean, the thing that I take away from with the giants is, is just how focused and locked in they were. And, Whereas I might have had some doubts as to whether or not they would actually be able to beat the Patriots a second time. By the time that media session, that whole media week had ended, I was pretty sure the Giants were going to come back and 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 history was going to repeat itself. Now, little did I know that it would, um, as far as like, you know, a spectacular catch and, you know, Eli's heroics and whatnot. But the other thing I want to mention, though, for that game was... Personally speaking, I had a little bit of a setback, and I'm actually kind of exaggerating here. It was probably a big setback, and that the night before the game, which is pretty much a dead a dead day, uh, the Saturday before the Super Bowl, it's kind of you know you just hang out, you know you can go to bed early or you could go out and enjoy the nightlife. Well, I made the mistake of going out. Uh, my husband had flown into Indianapolis to join me, and uh, we decided we wanted to go out for dinner and whatnot. And it, it was kind of misty outside. So remember now, I'm recovering from chemotherapy, and I probably should not be in crowds. I probably should not have been running around the way I was. But of course, I went and I did it. And I can remember uh, that next morning, Super Bowl morning, waking up sick as a dog. I mean, I was so sick. I had a high fever. And here I am, I'm thinking, oh my goodness, I did everything I, I promised the doctor I wouldn't do. But somehow, you know, my husband, thank God, found some uh, medication to help me with, with my symptoms. Um, you know, he had wanted to call my doctor and I, I begged him, I said, don't call her. She's going to yell at me. So we didn't call the doctor. Although I did fess up, you know, months later that what had happened. Um, but uh, so we, so I took some medicine. I remember going through the game, but I also remember being in the auxiliary seating and being put high up in uh, Lucas Oil Stadium. So you had to kind of climb up and down the steps, which, you know, wouldn't have been a big deal if I was, you know, 100%. But when you're sick and you're coming off of chemo and your joints ache, it was kind of a challenge. So, um, Anyway, we did that. I was able to get up and down the stairs. But what I'm ashamed to admit is that for the first and only time, knock on wood, in my career, I actually missed a deadline because after that game was over, and what a game it was, folks. But, you know, I, I just kind of forced myself to, to focus on that game just to kind of take my mind off of how I was feeling. But after that game was over, because I was at that point so sick and I had a fever um, if I had to guess, I would say my fever had to be around 101 degrees. It, it, it was high. It wasn't a typical low-grade fever, but um, I just remember being too sick to even work at that point. So I remember going back and uh, just going right to bed, and I, I said, you know, I'll work in the morning. And thankfully, 
um, I had a, uh, I had a little bit of a breather. I, you know, I was able to get up the next morning and I, and I thankfully got my story in that I had started to write, but hadn't finished. Um, so I was kind of thankful that my bosses didn't have a conniption that I was late. P.S. to all you aspiring journalists, I don't recommend doing that unless you have a really understanding boss, which thankfully I did. They were there. They knew I was, you know, what my situation was. And um, thankfully, they didn't get too upset with me. But anyway, that next day, that Monday, I remember um, we had to go home, my husband and I. And in order to get home, we couldn't get a flight out of Indianapolis. We had to drive to Cincinnati to uh, catch our flight, which would take us to Chicago, which was the opposite direction of where we needed to go, and then from Chicago back to Newark Airport. And at that point, I was just so sick. I mean, I I should not have been out and moving around and whatnot. Um, I actually almost got on the wrong flight at the time. (laughs) Um, Thank goodness my husband was there because he was able to catch me from, from going to the wrong gate and everything. But that's how bad it was for me. Um, we did spend the hour, we took, it was like an hour and a half drive to Cincinnati, which was a small airport. And then I almost got on the wrong flight. And then by the time we got to Chicago O'Hare, he made sure that I got on the right plane. And I remember we sat in the back of the plane because I didn't want to infect everybody. I was sitting in the corner and I was kind of like facing the window the whole time, trying not to infect anybody, but we made it home. And of course, you know, because I was so sick and came pretty darn close to having to be hospitalized because at that point I admitted to the doctor or my general doctor at the time that I was pretty bad off. And basically they said, if I didn't get my fever down, I'd have to go to the hospital. But I didn't have to, thank goodness, uh, but uh, I did end up missing the Giants, um, the the celebrate the celebrations that they had. I believe they had a stadium celebration that I had to watch from home because I just couldn't make it, and that was something I really regretted. The other thing I regretted, and and I did this twice, for, and and. I, I swear, if I get another opportunity to do this, I will not do it. I will not miss it again if I can help it. I didn't go to the White House, and I'm so sorry I didn't. Um, I guess maybe I thought, well, you know, the Giants will be back, you know, with, so if I don't make it this year, I'll make it another year. Well, let that be a lesson to you that when you have an opportunity, you might want to consider taking it. But overall, that 2011 season just to see that team, how it came together, to see how competitive it was, and to just know that they were fighting and, and they were an inspiration to me. And, and I think that was a big reason why, and I've never really kind of admitted this, but they were a big reason why I continued to fight through what I was going through. I mean, I could have stayed at home, taken a leave and and just not done anything and just recovered from, you know, chemo and cancer treatments and whatnot. But they inspired me. And, you know, I'm, I'm so glad I was able to share that, even though I will still say until I die that Super Bowl 42 was, was my favorite. That Super Bowl 46 team, they were a good group of guys. And I'm just glad we all got to know each other and I got to cover them. All right, Giant fans, that'll do it for today's show. I hope you enjoyed it. Again, if you have any suggestions for future years or other years that you'd like to hear about on the Time Machine theme, send them to me. Tag them, ask P-Train, 
on my Twitter account at Patricia underscore Trina. You can email them to uh, LockedOnGiantsPodcast at gmail.com. Folks, I will talk to you again soon.